once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. You have an opportunity to meet with Bill Gates. The man has a net worth of $78 billion. He spends his time through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation trying to improve education, health, and food distribution. When he asks, what do you want me to do for you? What's your answer? Now replace Gates with Jesus. Teaching team member David McNeely brings us this message entitled, What Do You Want Me To Do For You?, which covers Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. Thank you for joining us today. Blessed today to have one of our team members, uh, uh, David McNeely, to come teach God's Word. I had the privilege of hearing the first service. Uh, be a delight to all today, as always is. And uh, come up and let me pray for you, David. Father in heaven, thank you for David and for uh, just the partnership and friendship that we enjoy in ministry leadership here. I pray you would continue to bless, uh, use his message today to honor you and bring a great uh, uh, help to us as a people here. So bless, anoint him now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you, man. Thank you. You know, I said this to the first service, too. I, I was not aware that Randy would actually be uh, here for, for the uh, that worship pastoring. And uh, so that, that's a great surprise. There's nothing, uh, no, no downside to it. I did wonder, though, is that, is, did he come because you want to make sure that just in case anything was said, that he could come up afterwards and clear up my mess and et cetera. You just never know with him. Listen, I know that some of you have endured a long weekend, particularly some of you men. And my wife, when I found out about the women's retreat, you know, because it goes every other year, I said, Judith, please go to the women's retreat this year. This is a great opportunity for you to get away, to be away from, you know, a house of boys and get away, have conversation with women, adult conversation that you would enjoy. And uh, she looked at me and she said, do you know what weekend it's on? I said, I have no idea. She said, it's on a weekend that you're preaching. Do you think there's any chance I'm going to leave you with my boys while you have to preach and to get them to church on time on Sunday? Do you think there's any way? Judith, I don't understand. Why do you not think that I'm capable of doing that? (laughs) I said, what is it that you want? She said, I just want to come home to live boys. That's what I want to come home to. That is just uh, her desire to, uh, to have. And listen, this morning is going to be on one very simple topic. I don't have a whole lot of points for you. I've got one theme that I want to sit on for just a little bit. And, and this has come out of a result of a conversation that I've had with a guy named Clint Demetrio. Many of you know him. He's on staff now with us and doing great work. He and I were talking about this particular passage. Well, he taught on this passage while in Manila. And I'm going to teach on it while here. He chose the passage in Luke. I'm going to choose the passage in Mark. It's the same basic story, though. And the one thought for me throughout this whole time is this. I have been been going through this question over and over and over again for the last couple of months. And and it's it's in result of of Jesus' question. What is it that you want? I mean, today, what, what is it that your soul really longs for and desires? Can you articulate it? Could you, in in just a sentence or two, be able to really formulate what it is that your soul longs for deep inside? See, here's the question that Jesus is going to ask. We're going to see this later on, so I'm not spoiling anything. The question is this, what do you want for me to do for you? 
Folks, he's asking that question to you this morning. But the first place we have to start is, what is it that I even want? Some of you may uh, be in a place right now in life where you're thinking, what I really, really want is, is, I just want there to be some type of a relationship between my child and me. And, and I would say, I, I understand that, and I think that that's true. You do want that, but is that really what you want? Some would say, I'm really hoping that my relationship with my parent can heal and get to the place once again where we are discussing and interacting and sharing. And I, I want to be able to... I would say, I agree with that. That is a desire. It's a good desire. It's a right desire. It's from God. My question is, is that the depth of it? Is that really what you want? How about work? Is what you really want to be able to go and earn a paycheck and to to work hard and to be successful in your career, to be good at what it is that you do, is that really what you want out of work or do you want something deeper? You're maybe not married. Maybe your soul's longing right now is for a spouse to come along that God would bring. Maybe some of you are very content. You're saying, that's not what I want. At all, if it is a desire, if it is a longing of your soul to be married, my question is this, is that really what you want? You've worked hard all your life. You're finally getting to those final stages where you're able to retire and to to step back. And so you've got a plot of land that you're looking at on a beach over in Hilton Head and you've got this house in mind and you just want to relax and rest. My question is, is that really what you want. Now, before you think I'm going down a road today that says um, our desires are bad and wrong and we shouldn't listen to them, I'm actually going to say the exact opposite. I think that we should be spending more time listening to what it is that our souls are crying out for, what our heart is saying. In fact, what I would venture to say is that in our culture, I think the danger we run into far more often is not that we listen to our hearts too much and that we share too much, but rather we listen to it too little and we shut it down. Because is there anything worse than having an unmet, deep-seated desire? I may want five guys after the service today. And for whatever reason, through it be it traffic or what time I get out of here, I may not have time to actually go there. And that would be a desire that goes unmet. We can all deal with that. Not a whole lot of disappointment. It's not going to shut me off the next time I think about going to a burger joint and putting in grease into my system so that I can clog my arteries. But when I have a desire that says I am longing for children and I have neither a spouse, or if I do have a spouse, we are trying and trying and trying and we can't have children, One of the easiest things is for us to try to shove that desire aside and to shut it off. It's far less painful. A couple of quotes have grabbed my attention over the last several weeks. This one I found years ago, George Bernard Shaw. He said, there are two tragedies in life. One is to not get your heart's desire, and the other is to get it. You ever gotten exactly what it is that you wanted and found out that it, in fact, was wanting? Tony Ballantyne said, the best joke of all is to give someone just what they've wanted. I like the way he says it, to give them only 
what it is that they want. I think it's true on the surface level, the place that we wade far more often into the shallow waters of our desires, not getting into the depths of what it is that we really want, but just living on the surface level. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Want is a growing giant whom the coat of have was never large enough to cover. That's a great one. Want is something that Regardless of how much we have at the moment, it will never cover the depths of our desire for more. We make this statement often in our house, something along these lines where it's just never enough, is it? (laughs) Sylvia Plath, perhaps when we find ourselves wanting everything, it is because we are dangerously near to wanting nothing. This is the place I think we get to where... We want and we want and we want and that need goes unmet, that desire goes unmet and so we then try to say, I'm just going to shove it. But yet what happens is instead of shoving it, it actually arises a desire to want just everything. Finally, Saul Bellow, a human soul devoid of longing was a soul deformed, deprived of its highest good, sick unto death. The worst thing we can do this morning is to shut off desire, to shut off what it is that we want and long for. Today, if Jesus is asking you, and he is, what do you want me to do for you? If you can't articulate it, let me beg you to get away and listen. What do you want? I would say that there are many things that we ultimately would ask for But I think in the depths of our souls, what we're longing for the most is just to be connected to our creator. Everything else will take care of itself if that is driving our lives. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter uh, 10. We're going to be reading Mark's account rather than Luke or Matthew's account of this. And so I want to start uh, by just giving you a tad bit of background information that there is A story that is mentioned here in Mark, it's also mentioned in the two other Gospels that are similar. They're called the Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, John, which is also a Gospel, is written in a very different manner, and it's not one of the three that we would say are very similar in structure, even in timeline, etc. So one of my uh, friends, several of our friends that are critics of the Bible that would say, hey, the Bible has all kinds of contradictions and it has some uh, misrepresentations, they would point to this passage right here as being one of those where the Bible clearly contradicts itself. And while I don't have time to address all of it, what I would say is this. Um, I, would, I would disagree in there. And, uh, and I would say that really what is happening is Mark is giving one side of this picture. Luke is giving another side of this picture. And Matthew is giving another side. So that when we look at the whole together, we have a much better view as to what's going on. So, for example... Mark and Matthew have Jesus as leaving uh, Jericho during this time. Luke has him as entering into Jericho during this time. It's really the only one that we say, hey, there's not a, a completely satisfying answer as to why the Gospels do it in a different way. The other question they point to is, well, you know, some of these stories have them as two guys that are going to be healed, whereas Mark only has one guy that's going to be healed in here, and that one is really not difficult at all, especially when you understand what Mark's purpose is in this. Now, all of this being said, the question was posed to one of the greatest critics, one of the greatest skeptics on this. He actually wrote a book in the mid-2000s or 2005, or let me say it that way. And, uh, and he used this passage right here and, other, and the other parts of the gospel to say, see, you can't trust the Bible. 
than the question was posed to him in a debate. Tell me, in any of these contradictions, so-called, that you hear here, is there any doctrine that is affected in any way in the scriptures? No, was his response. Does it even affect even the meaning of this particular story as it's related in Matthew, Mark, or Luke? Is there any meaning whatsoever that's altered in any way? And the question, his answer was no. So there's nothing that's really altered or really changed in there. We're just getting a different perspective uh, in here. It's really not that huge of a deal. But I, I do want you to know, for those of you who are critical scholars and skeptics, I do want you to know, I hear you. I know you have some questions. This one right here, it just isn't a big deal. Mark chapter 10, I'm going to begin reading in verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him along the way. I really believe that when the writers of Scripture are writing the story, and this is true of all of Scripture, but I would say in particularly true of the narratives, which means it's the story that they're unfolding. When they write in the Scriptures, we should do the best we can to place ourselves in the scenario in which the Scriptures are written. So those of you that have drama backgrounds, you know, it would be great to become a character in the story. Maybe to to picture the scene, to think about maybe some of the details that the scriptures give, to to add color and flavor to it so we can place ourselves there emotionally. While we can't be there, obviously, physically, we can go back and get the sense of what was really going on. So let me read it maybe in a way that it would be better portrayed. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus a blind beggar. The son of Timaeus was sitting by the roadside, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me! I wish you could see your faces right now. Oh, there's a couple of you on the second and third row. I won't point fingers, but you were nodding off. (laughs) And I know that many of us right now are probably thinking, uh, hello, psycho boy. Uh, Was that really necessary? And, and, And they were saying the same thing. The crowd is listening to him shout out in there. They're having the same reaction we would. Now why? Because there's this blind beggar who is 
over here on the side of the road. He's not on the road. He's on the side of the road. Now, Jesus and his band of following are making their way from Jericho now to Jerusalem. It's a trek in which they would have to go up a hill for several miles. They would go on this journey, and there's a large amount of people that are coming because of the Passover that's there. And on the side of the road over here is one who is ostracized, who is outcast, who cannot see. And his only option is to beg. He can uh, kneel like I am doing with his hands out, or he can sit with his in, uh, feet crossed Indian style, which I, I, I can't do that. Hips don't work at this age doing that. And he would sit by the road and he would beg. And what he would beg for is just somebody to have some kind of mercy on him just so his basic needs could be met. And then he hears. He hears that Jesus is coming. Perhaps he Here's the crowd as they're getting louder, the crowd that's following him. And somebody tells him, well, Jesus of Nazareth is coming. And so now he's licking his chops and he knows he has the opportunity. And when he gets right by, close to him, he shouts out, I won't do it again. But he cries out, have mercy on me. Why would he do that? Because he spent his life being ignored. He spent so much of his existence on the side, away from people, not a part of the norm. He's a freak in his mind. And he knows. His parents have not been able to help him. His siblings have not been able to help him. His friends have not been able to help him. Nobody has ever provided what it is that he longs for the most. And he hears the one person who has the ability to heal the blind, to to make sure that those who are sick are made well. He knows that Jesus has done it before, just in a couple chapters previous, that Jesus has restored the sight to the blind. And this is what he longs for. No chance he's going to let Jesus go by without grabbing his attention. Can I ask you real quick? Do your prayers look like this? Or are your prayers much more tame? When we are desperate enough, then we will cry out for the Son of David to have mercy on us. My guess is that the crowd in here now makes their way over to this crazy man who is shouting and they're going to come on. Do you realize Do you realize how desperate you look and sound in this control yourself? Shh. Jesus has way more important things to do. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Do you really think he's going to stop and listen to one stinking beggar? And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more. Again, I won't cry out again. He cries out all the more. The way that it's written in this gospel here is that he keeps continuously coming after Jesus. Please pay attention to me. What do you want, people? Do you have something today that is so far down inside that you will do everything within your power to cry out and say, God, please listen? Or are you much too controlled, much too sophisticated, 
much too disconnected with the longings of your heart. I love the fact that he just didn't give a flying rat's behind what everybody else thought. He wanted to go after Jesus. <laughs> Look at verse 49. And Jesus stopped. Screaming, crying out, yelling, trying to be silenced. He cries out all the more. Jesus, my guess is he's kind of walking, and I, I, I think he probably has a smile on his face. He's looking. Call him. I know you wouldn't say this out loud, but I know that many of us today feel as though God is far too busy to listen to us. He's got a universe to spin. He's got far bigger and greater things to do. He's got greater men and women in the kingdom that he's trying to bless and move forward to actually listen to your request. The evil one would have us to believe that he just doesn't listen to those who are desperate. What the scriptures actually tell us is this. Jesus stops for those who nobody stops for. Jesus listens to those who nobody listens to. Jesus stopped. And said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart. Get up. He is calling you. Now, I don't know why the crowd all of a sudden changed. I don't know why this, this one tone of shh, be quiet to now. Hey, come on. All I know is that they couldn't resist the invitation from Jesus. They just joined in with Jesus was calling to someone else. They gathered around and they joined in the call as well. And what it tells us now is, that, look, watch what happens. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. There he is, begging, begging. Ah, ah, ah. Come. I love this. He's down here. He throws aside anything that would so easily entangle him, and he begins to head towards Jesus. Perhaps he was guided over there by others. Perhaps he just went in the direction of the voice of God. I don't know. I just know that he came into the presence of Jesus, and this is where he stopped. And then Jesus says something to him. At this point, he's still blind, and all he can do is hear the voice of God. He can't yet see the face of God. And Jesus said to him, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? I wish this wasn't true of me, but it has been on far too many accounts that my children have come to me, and they have asked for something, and my response has been, what do you want? You not realize that I'm trying to prepare, or I'm trying to do this, or I'm trying to do that, or I'm trying to watch this ball game, or I'm trying to... My heart is, what do you want? Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? All you have to do is go back I didn't do the math. 12-ish verses. Go back to chapter 10, verse 35. 
And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, that is Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Teacher, not Lord, not Master, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever it is that we ask of you. (laughs) Hello, boldness. And what does Jesus ask them then? He said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus has a way of doing this over and over and over again all throughout the gospel narratives where he will ask a question and the question is designed to get someone to a deeper level of their psyche and thinking and desire, etc. And so he probes the question to them, what do you want me to do for you then? Well, uh, it's, it's like this, Jesus. We know you have a throne. And uh, it's yours. And so I'm not asking that uh, I would sit on your throne, but what I am asking is this, us, the bros, man, we would love to come in and we would love to have a seat right here and the other one would go right here so that all the world would know that we are your main men. We would love to be recognized and honored and glorified right alongside of you. Now, you got your seat. We'll be lower. But we want to be right by you. And Jesus says, you have no idea what you're asking for. He lets them know that he's about to walk towards a cross. He even asks them, do you think you can handle that? And they say, yeah. What do you really want? What they weren't saying is we really want to be with Jesus. What they're saying is we want the status of Jesus. And Jesus says, you're going to be associated with me. You've got to embrace the cross of Jesus. Jesus asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And standing there right next to one another, the blind man said to him, Rabbi, Let me recover my sight. Now, this is a wonderful word, and the comparing and contrasting cannot be any more obvious. The word he uses for rabbi is an elevated term of rabbi, meaning it's not just the word teacher. It's actually a word that is associated with someone even higher in exaltation than that. And so the word is rarely and seldom ever used of another human being. It was most often used in context when someone would come before God in prayer. He's using this in context with the Almighty. And the only one right now who couldn't see was the one who saw with greatest clarity. Rabbi. Master, Lord, all of those are tied in together. The only one who can meet my need, what I want, is I want to see. Now, when our lives are normal, when we're along with the disciples like James and John, when our lives are kind of the normal and the mundane, there's nothing really desperate going on in our lives, the normal, the regular, is just the bare minimum for us, is it not? But when we are desperate, when we are aside, when we are cast away, 
just being normal would be the greatest blessing in the world. God, Jesus, please let me see. You're the only one who can do this. Now, there's nothing shallow about his desire. He wants physical sight in here. And what God is going to do is to meet his greatest desire. Even beyond that which he's aware of. But he does meet the immediate need that he's aware of. Jesus said to him, meaning Jesus didn't touch him as he would on other occasions. Just the words from his mouth, the same words that were given when it said, let there be light. The same power comes out and Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And with those words, his eyes were opened and he began to see. Now, please don't miss this. The most beautiful part of this entire passage is that he is standing there in the presence in his first sight was the sight of his healer, his redeemer, his savior. That's the first vision that he has. Finally, finally someone who has come along, who has been able to actually meet the greatest need is standing in front of him. Now, normally what Jesus would do is then to tell someone either keep this quiet or he would send them home so that they might minister or or, uh, uh, give the word of what had happened to their family or to the priest or somebody. Normally, that's what Jesus would do, but Jesus does not do that on this particular occasion. And what, what Mark tells us now is that immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This word that's used here is a word that means it happens and it happens again and again and again. Meaning he kept on following Jesus. He thought his greatest longing was just to receive physical sight. And what he found was that the greatest desire of his soul was to walk with his Savior. What is it today that you really truly want? What is it today that your soul is screaming out from inside of you? When I was a kid in the sixth grade, my greatest desire was to be a football player at the University of Alabama. I grew up in Alabama and nobody cared about the NFL, so the thought of going on to the NFL making money just didn't didn't matter because Alabama and Auburn are everything in that state. And so in the sixth grade, I thought, man, I just want to go to Alabama And then God made me this size. (laughs) And this does not translate well into SEC football. By the time I hit high school, I realized that I had no shot at playing Division I football. And so at that point, my desire had actually moved and shifted into basketball. And I thought, Lord, I just, I don't know why you've made me so short, but I really like basketball. And I had enough talent to be able to play that would be able to take care of some of my needs at a small school. And, but at that point in my life, I was in over my head with alcohol addiction. I could not get out of it. And I had gone through AA and trying to do everything I could to get sober, primarily for my parents. And so my desire then, my longing then was, I just want to be sober for my folks. 
They have loved me so well during this time, and I just want to honor them. But that wasn't really the deepest longing of my soul. After I came to faith in high school or in college, the end of my freshman year of college, I began to walk with God. And my prayers very quickly and, and soon turned to, Lord, my desire, my longing right now is that you would bring a godly woman into my presence that I might walk through life with, that we might be partners, that we might be helpmates, that we might serve you together. Would you give me a woman who knows you, who fears you? And the Lord met that desire. What I found out is that wasn't really what I was longing for the most, as glorious as it is. It wasn't the depths of my soul. And we moved to North Carolina, and while we were there, enjoying the church and the ministry that God had given us and we're watching all of our friends get pregnant and give birth and this desire is growing more and more inside of us to have children and every month that passed that we weren't pregnant turned into years in which we weren't pregnant and our greatest desire was oh God please give us kids we didn't care how they came into our home whether that was through adoption or natural birth it didn't matter to us just God bring them to us, and he met that desire, and he did that six times over. And that wasn't really the deepest desire of my soul. And I thought, well, what I'd really love to do is to go and to be a senior pastor of a church. And I take on a church and serve with them and with their body and, and be able to affect leadership and, this, and preach and, and with great regularity and et cetera. And I thought maybe this would be what I would long for. And very quickly in the process of, of praying over all that, the Lord has made it abundantly clear that that really isn't what I want. It's not the depths of my soul. I think right now what I can tell you with sincerity is that the greatest desire I am aware of at this moment is that my kids would know the Lord. I am content knowing that my wife, my bride knows Jesus. There will come a day in which she will depart from this earth and she will be in the presence of God for all of eternity. And my soul is at peace at that one. But I don't yet have that same level of peace with my children. There's one in particular that I look at and I see the direction that he is headed. I just I see it. I'm not a prophet nor am I a son of a prophet. But I just know he is on the verge of walking down a very long and dangerous and damaging and hurtful path. And everything inside of me is crying out, oh, God, spare him. And sometimes it's all-consuming. It is distracting for me. Sometimes that's a good distraction. Sometimes it's not as good of a distraction. But the, the deepest longing I'm aware of right now is to experience the same level of joy that John had when he wrote in his epistles. I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk with the Lord. That's what I want so desperately now. And I can't force God's hand.
I think what we all long for deepest is that we and the ones we love would be connected with our Creator. Three very quick points of application that I see from this passage. Number one, if you are looking for spiritual insight, then look to Jesus. Today, if you would not consider yourself to be a follower of Christ and you're simply investigating the claims of Christ, then what I would say is look to Jesus. If you're looking for a spiritual awakening, a moment that you will um, have knowledge of the spiritual world, look to Jesus. He is, as I understand the scriptures, the only way that you'll find what you're looking for. Secondly, if you are hoping today for healing, then put your hope in Jesus. Whether your healing might be physical in nature, whether it might be emotional in nature, mental in nature, whatever the healing is that you're looking for, Jesus is the ultimate healer, and he won't just stop at healing your body, your mind, and your heart. He will actually heal your very soul. So put your hope in Jesus. Finally, if you are longing for something deeper, let your longing be met by Jesus. Meaning today, if you're not even sure of what it is that you're longing for, I just would beg you, just try Jesus. Mark gives us a passage of a single individual who was off to the side, ignored and forgotten Where Jesus stopped, he stopped because this man was screaming out to the top of his lungs. It would be one man right now. In the very next passage that comes in Mark's gospel, it would be the crowds that would be throwing down palm branches and saying, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus, let this man walk with him. He didn't tell him to go home because Jesus was on his way up the hill in which he would make his way to Jerusalem to accomplish what he came to accomplish. And that was to go to a cross. The only way your soul, the longings of your soul is going to be met is by going to a cross. By throwing your hands in the air and saying, whatever it is that you will, that I accept. And something tells me that deep inside he will reveal to you that what you've been longing for all along is to be with him to go from being beside the road, looking for him, to on the road with him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for who it is that you are and for what it is that you have done on our behalf. Lord, I pray that today you would help us to get to the depths of our desires, that you would not let us be satisfied to wade in the shallow pool of our likes, but rather you would take us to the deepest place of our longings. Meet us there, Lord. Jesus, thank you that you still stop and you listen. Thank you that you ask. Reveal to us what we need. We pray all this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. 
Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.